If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Our guest today at Horse Chats is Sam Kruger. Sam's been on before. She's been almost a regular guest. Sam's philosophy is that a horse can only answer a question, and if the rider understands their mistakes, then that's going to mean a happier horse. Today we're going to talk about rider responsibility and how to stay out of the horse's way. But before we do that, I just want to remind you about International Horse College. And if you'd like to work in the horse industry, but you're not sure where to, cha- where to start, then have a chat to the friendly team at International Horse College. With the wide variety of horse college, sorry, <laughs> with the wide variety of horse courses from complete beginner through to qualified professionals and students in over 20 countries, we'll be able to consider your individual requirements and guide you in the right direction. Simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com now and start the conversation. Registered Training Organisation 31352. And as I said today, we've got Sam Kruger on and with her philosophy, a horse can only answer a question and talking about understanding the rider mistakes. We're going to talk about how the rider can stay out of the horse's way and the responsibility of the rider. Now, Sam, are you there? How are you? Uh, good morning, Glenis. I'm well, and how are you? Oh, well. Well, thanks, Sam. Yeah, and thanks for coming back. I, you know, it might, might have been a little bit of time, but we're certainly glad to have you back, and you always bring very good thoughts with you, you know, very good philosophy. Thank you. That's okay. Now, this one about the, the rider's responsibility and staying out of the horse's way, you know, we talk about crookedness because we worry so much about the horse's crooked. You know, but how can we learn about our own crookedness and how that can affect the horse? That's a great question. It really does depend on the coach and how keen the coach's eye are. And we're getting more and more coaches out there that are a little bit more biomechanically minded. Uh, They're starting to understand the biomechanics of the rider and how the rider can affect the horse. It's not just the biomechanics of the horse. And understanding your own crookedness and... um, once it's pointed out to you, it's, it's quite you know obvious. A lot of people don't realise that they're crooked or they favour one way until you know someone points it out because it's normally that the horse doesn't like that rain and the horse goes you know falls in on this rain and all the rest. And yes, some horses do have favourite sides, but we tend to make it worse because you've got to remember they're carrying us on top of them and they're carrying quite a bit of weight, and we have to learn how to be in the middle and be quiet. So understanding where our crookedness is and how we can compensate that crookedness to stay in the middle is one of the biggest things. You know, we create such a misunderstanding and a miscommunication with the horse in our riding. So knowing where we're crooked, it might be a misalignment, you know, so starting off with a good chiropractor and body therapist, I always recommend that, is highly, you know, highly recommended. It's a great place to start. But also, as I said, having a coach that can see where you're weighted more or blocking or dropping a hip or collapsing in your sternum. All of these things all lead to tension within the rider and therefore tension within the horse. So once we've had a good evaluation, then, of course, there's things that we can do to correct that. Okay, so we've gone to the Cairo and, of course, we've probably looked at the saddle as well. How can we go about correcting this crookedness? 
So to correct your crookedness physically, once we know that we're we're aligned correctly, we have to go through a lot of muscle memory, and it's uh, it's such a habit to go back to our fetal position. Um, one thing that I've noticed in my coaching is people have a natural orientation to either a left rotation in the hip or a right rotation in the hip, depending on what side of their brain they are stronger on. And as we all know, horse riding is a very ambidextrous sport. We need to be able to flick from our left brain and our right brain as we're changing range very, very quickly and very consistently. A lot of people struggle to do that. And this is why their horses you know, go so much better on one rein than the other. Um, because the rider themselves don't know how to flip from left to right brain. And the more we can do it, the more the horse can, because the horse can flick from left to right brain, because that's what they do with their vision, how they see things and how they behave in the wild. They can flick from one side to the other very quickly. But again, horses do have a favourite side, just like we do. So it's really important to know how to correct that muscle memory, uh, again, with a good coach, there are so many things that you can do to alleviate the crookedness as once you understand what's wrong. So, for example, a rider who is a left-rotated rider will always draw the left lower leg up, will collapse the right hip or block on the right side. So the right seat bone will always sit dropped to the outside of the saddle on the left rein. And then on the right rein, that seat bone will still stay dropped to the inside. So therefore, that horse will push out on the left and fall in on the right. And once they understand where their crookedness is and where they're not in the middle, simple things by actually pushing the outside of an ankle away on the side of the rotation can actually allow you to put more weight. How you turn your head, not the body, just the head, can also allow you to equal weight into seat bones. So it really does take an instructor with a very keen eye that can see this going on that can assist the rider. And it's a personal journey because not not everyone wants to learn how to be more in the middle. But for the horses, I think it's a very beneficial way to go. So you talked about learning to stay in the middle of the horse. So if we're talking about a coach, and this is going to help not just for riders, but for someone who is already teaching and is listening. You know, it's about the riders learning how to stay in the middle, but I suppose it's about the instructor or the coach teaching people to learn how to stay in the middle of the horse. Absolutely, absolutely. So to learn how to stay in the middle really does encourage us to learn about our core. And our core is divided into two parts. You have an upper core and a lower core. The lower core is the part that needs to concertina and the upper core is the part that stabilizes everything. So your upper core, you can divide from your sternum to your belly button and your lower core is from your belly button through to your pelvis. And you need to be able to stabilize that upper core. A lot of people collapse in the sternum. What I usually say to, because uh, it's majority of female within sport, even though we do have men, please don't be offended, guys. But I usually say with the ladies, the bow on your bra. Think about it being forward to the horse's ears. Just think about having that part of you. And it's amazing, just that, that visualization of that gets them to pick up their sternum and it gets them to hold that part of their sternum and their core, and then their lower core can concertina. So then once they learn how to establish more core strength, and then, of course, doing yoga and Pilates is just such a bonus to this concept, they can then start to hang their legs and engage their feet. So it's a correlation of all parts of their body and understanding where they need to be weighted from, because realistically we need to learn to hang our lower leg 
even though we're always taught more leg, more leg. It's actually more from the inner thigh and the seat and the core than it is the lower leg. Uh, if the horse is in front of the leg, there's no need to use the leg. Um, and then your upper body, again, is another counterweight. It should just be keeping you balanced within the middle. You talk about two seat bones, two stirrups and two hands, which you know, is obvious because you have two seat bones, two stirrups, two hands, or for able-bodied riders. Just go in and explain this a little bit more and what you'd say when you were teaching people. Absolutely. So I encourage them to really feel where their seat bones are. Um, and I go more onto this a little bit further in. Is that I'll introduce things like um, Franklin balls and whatever else to help assist the rider to feel their seat bones. But they need to feel a rectangle. And I always talk to them about making sure that the left seat bone drives towards the left hand and the right seat bone towards the right hand. And so that you have this rectangle within your seat and your hands. And that rectangle can move to the left and to the right, but the rectangle stays within plumb, so it doesn't go out. You often see riders who will pull on an inside rein and let go of the outside rein. You've lost your rectangle, and then you've lost the equal weight over your seat bones. So as soon as we get crooked in that rectangle and the rectangle comes out of plumb, you are no longer equal weighted. So I always talk to them about being balanced over two seat bones, and then when you're balanced over two seat bones and into two reins equally, your feet will just hang on the balls of your feet into two stirrups. Um, and it's so important to be able to be there, to hang like that into those two stirrups. And that then encourages us to be able to use our feet to encourage the horse's hind quarter and more activity from behind, riding the horse back to front, not front to back. So encouraging the hind quarter movement through, and it's not having a blocking seat at all or a grinding seat. That, that's that's too much tension. This is a following seat. And when the seat goes into a following motion, it actually creates a figure of eight. And you get a very soft motion of the hips following the horse's motion and movement within a figure of eight, providing the upper body is still. You see a lot of riders who are crooked and who block and their movement comes into their upper back and their head. And you see these head bobbers and these upper back movers. Um, they're not taking the weight through their seat. They're not allowing the horse to move them. And, uh, and it's learning that concept and, again, thinking about riding the horse back to front, getting that hind quarter underneath you and into your hand. Now, you talked about riding the horse from back to front, not front to back, and you've also talked to, you know, the hind quarter. So, so using the seat, just explain a bit more about the seat, hind quarters, the hand. You talked also about having the horse in front of the leg. So, again, go into a bit more depth about that. Yes. So when we're riding the seat and encouraging the horse's hind quarter to come through from behind and into our hand, if you actually learn to engage your seat bones and pick up, and basically I say to them, just pick up your bum cheeks towards your hand, you'll actually feel the horse will let go of his back and actually soften. And they'll actually then soften into the neck. So if you can learn to do that, the horse actually then is easier to engage through energy and intent into your hand. And the horse then actually comes into a very light contact. People that I coach that have been coached through normal conventional coaching really struggle with that concept to begin with. But when they realise how easy it is to connect a horse into the hand just through the application of using your seat, they go, oh, my God, I've never been taught this. I don't understand why. I haven't learnt this before. And it's, it's not, not everyone knows how to explain that. 
it's not an easy concept to get. And there, are, you know, more and more coaches are starting to understand, as I said, the biomechanics and understanding how our body affects the horses. So it's learning how to use the muscle structure within your pelvic floor as well and through your inner thigh to encourage that horse to bring the hind quarter up underneath it without blocking. Because a lot of people then will block because they grip with their knees and, uh, and the toe comes out too much and so their lower leg is jammed on. That's stopping any forward movement from the hind quarter. You have to learn to be able to ride with a very soft lower leg and then when the leg comes on, the horse knows it must go forward to the bridle. So it, we've desensitised horses too much by using too much leg. And, uh, and then, of course, we then have to go to spurs and to whips to encourage them to be more forward instead of the spur, especially is a refinement aid. That's something that should be used by a rider at a certain level of riding who wants more refinement of the horse to be in front of the leg. And normally, the spur is hardly ever used. It is just there to touch because if you know how to hug the horse with the lower leg, there is no need for the heel to drag up the back of the side of the horse. So it's a skill learnt to be able to hug with your leg in comparison to drawing the leg up from the knee and dragging the heel up. So it, it, again, it, it's strength from the core and uh, understanding through the rider of how to engage seat and then hug the horse if he doesn't listen. You know, and then of course I, I'll always kiss them up. I'll you know move forward um, instead of nagging. I don't like to be sitting there driving with leg. Sometimes you'll use a whip just to touch them, but very rarely do you ever need to get firm. As long as there is no blocking, the horse can always travel. Once we've got this established, it's easy to get the horse's hind quarter up and under. It's engine moving and making sure that the rib cage can then start to swing, which then gives the thoracic sling the softness and the horse's ability to then lift the shoulder up into the wither to round through the neck and come into a higher neck set, which is required, of course, for your much more advanced movements within dressage. So it, it's very important that we can get to have that feeling. The other thing is understanding how to ride that seat and the horse's hindquarter into the hand is knowing their footfalls and knowing when they're on two tracks because the horse even on a circle should be on two tracks and the only thing that should be moving is the horse's rib cage slightly to the outside which is correct bend so if you can encourage the horse's rib cage to move to the outside then he's constantina in the inside rib cage then you're getting bend but a lot of times bend has been misconstrued with lower leg and a lot of times then we get the heel dragging, the lower leg lifting up, and the horse is no longer on two tracks. And then they're not forward because it's creating a slight disengagement of the hind quarter instead of an engagement of the inside hind travelling towards the inside front. Hopefully this is making sense to some. Yep. I'm just thinking, you know, because I know that you use resistance band to help assist with this concept. Tell us about the resistance band and how you use that. And then, and then that way, um, I think that's sort of, it's good, Sam, because I can sort of ask you and then say, just go into a little bit more depth here and you keep coming back with the information. So if you can talk about the resistance band to um, assist that concept, that'd be brilliant. Absolutely. So once the rider is aware of their crookedness and where they're, you know, left rotated or right rotated and where they like to maintain their weight, using a resistance band gives them instant tactile feedback. 
And sometimes I'll start with using the Franklin ball so that gives them an awareness of their feet and an awareness of that figure of eight movement. Um, I'll use them underneath the arms to keep their body and their feet in that rectangle and keeping that in plumb so that they feel when they go to let go of an outside rein and pull on the inside rein. Then the resistance bands literally tie it all together. So a rider, for instance, that is left rotated will actually feel more pressure on the right shoulder because the resistance band used in a lateral sense will go from the right shoulder and underneath the left heel and over the left shoulder and underneath the right heel. So it is basically tying you into that rectangle plumb feel. And you will instantly feel when you move a seat bone and drop a seat bone, you will instantly feel the pressure of your leg drawing up because the resistance band makes you want to pull up against it in your upper core, so it engages your upper core, but also it encourages you to be weighted, balanced and equal over your seat bones and your balls of your feet. So it puts you into that two seat bones, two stirrups and two hands philosophy. And it gives you instant tactile feedback because I can be there and I can see Something going, a mistake happening, a change in weight, a change in rotation. And the second I go to voice that, I've already gone past the point of the rider recognizing that and changing it. And it might already be a stride ahead. Put them in the resistance band. They feel it themselves. And as I'm saying, did you feel that? They'll look at me and go, oh, my God, I do do that. So it gives them that instant tactile feedback. Um, Because as we learn, people are either visual or audio or uh, tactile, or they're a combination of the whole lot. They like it to be visual, audio, and tactile. So tactile feedback when you're coaching is not an easy thing to do because they're out there on the horses riding. Uh, Unless you're walking next to them, you can help adjust them a little bit or stand still at halt. But it's very hard to be there in trot and canter, obviously. So the resistance band gives them that ability. And then as I'm voicing what I see, they're feeling it instantly. So I get them to ride in the resistance bands in all gates if they're confident. Of course, I always let the horses look at them before I put them on. Um, I, I allow them to touch them on both eyes to make sure that there are no frights. They're not tied into the stirrup. It goes behind the heel. So if the leg comes out, the band is still attached to the rider. The other thing is that the rider really does feel the difference in their feet and they feel that figure eight of movement, they feel the rectangle, they feel the equal weightedness, they feel their mistakes, that's the most important thing. Um, It just gives them such good feedback and it helps them to learn what the middle is because a lot of the time we walk crooked or we do things on a daily basis and we don't know where our middle is and it's not until you point it out to them and then a lot of riders will often say, I feel crooked now. And I go, yes, but now you're straight. Now you're even. Now you're in the middle. And so they have to learn a new, basically a new middle. And that needs to be more comfortable for them. So it just takes a little bit of time. But we do repeat things in lessons. I'll let them wear them again. We might extend the amount of time they wear them. There might only be certain gates I need them to wear them in. And then, of course, we take them away. So when I take them away... The riders, more often than not, are correcting their own middle as I go to say they're coming out of the middle. And and they just gives them that euphoric feeling like, oh, I can feel that now. I know when I'm wrong and I know when I'm right. So it's, it's really rewarding to the rider. And, of course, if you get a rider to ride in the middle and balanced and equally weighted and riding the horse's hindquarter to the hand, the horses just 
travel as they need to be. And they can be straighter and we get out of their way. Much easier for them to do their job carrying us when we can be in the middle. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, I know one of the techniques you use, and you know I've certainly seen it a few times, um, riding on what we would technically call the wrong diagonal. Why would we do this? What's the value in this riding and on the wrong diagonal? Is it for the horse, for the rider, for both? Okay, so riding on the wrong diagonal is a great exercise for us to do. The biggest reason why, and it does affect both the horse and rider. So I'll be doing a lesson and I'll, I will see their twists because, again, if you're left rotated, you will rise with a twist to your right hip and when you on your left diagonal. When you ride that left diagonal on the right rein, all of a sudden you will feel that twist, whereas on the left rein you won't feel it at all. And riding that wrong diagonal in the twist on the right rein, the left diagonal on the right rein, you will all of a sudden be using different muscles in your core to keep you in the middle. Your body won't let you twist because we've got a, almost a warped sense of perfection of our middle when we've been crooked all our lives. And when we've learned our correct diagonal, no one corrected our crookedness. No one got us straight to begin with. No one explained to me how to be in the middle when I was learning my diagonal. I just had to learn my diagonal. And no one explained to me how to do that balanced. So once you start riding on the wrong diagonal, it has that twofold effect. It helps to strengthen the rider's core and gives them that perception of being more in the middle. And not only that, you think of the poor horses that have been carrying that twist from a rider on a left rotation or a right rotation. They've been carrying that twist for a long time. So the horse then will load up one side of its body more than the other through the rising trot. When you go onto the wrong diagonal, you give that hind leg that you're always pushing off on a twist a break because you're in the rise, not the sit. So it gives that horse a moment to be able to go back onto two tracks instead of always riding a little quarters out or little quarters in or loading up the inside shoulder and falling in onto the inside rein really heavily. So it gives the horse an opportunity to balance up his body as well. And especially as I've talked in the podcast, you know, I'm hoping by now people are a little bit more aware of getting themselves looked at and their horses looked at. These are things that you can do after you've had the horse chiroed and massaged and acupunctured and the things that you can do after you have had that work done as well. There's no use having it done or doing it if you haven't had your self-corrected. So it's really important to make sure that you've done every avenue first and these are the exercises that you can do to help ride in the middle. So it has that twofold effect. And the other thing too, in Europe, they all ride wrong diagonal as much as they'll ride correct because of the fact that it balances the horses up. So it's a really, really good exercise to do. 
certainly agree about the value of the exercise. Look, these um, exercises and techniques and everything, it's going to improve the relationship with the horse, which of course is what we're all about. They're invaluable. But tell us how transitions, you know, we get the horse going well, we're going brilliant, ride is going brilliant, everyone's happy, and then you put it in a transition, the horse goes, oh, hang on a sec, I'll resist here. How can we improve the transitions? How can we ride the transitions and make everything better? Well, pretty much to me, transitions are a bit of a picture into the whole picture. So they give you a really loud snapshot because the horse can be going rhythmical and really nice in the walk or the trot. And the second you go to do an upward or a downward transition, as you just said, it falls apart. The horse goes onto the forehand. You've lost it. You're no longer riding the horse's hind quarter through. So transitions are that snapshot that really tell you whether or not you're staying in the middle and you're letting the horse do its job. A lot of the time we try to micromanage them. We um, we make such an effort in trying to overcorrect, override. You know, oh, I've got an upward transition. And then all of a sudden you were riding with this gorgeous long leg, especially canter, the C word, it frightens everyone. You know, they're doing this gorgeous trot and you say, okay, we're going to canter. And then they start drawing up the lower legs and everything changes. And then the horse hollows its back because as soon as you start using too much lower leg, you cause the horse to hollow the back. So therefore then the horse is going to come above the contact and pull. So there will be no calm transition. So transitions, as I said, are a really big snapshot into where you're going wrong. So you need to be able to understand that all transitions need to be ridden, whether it be upward or downward, you need to ride them back to front, not front to back. So the horse's hind quarter is its motor and its brakes. It is so important that if you can connect and collect the horse's hind quarter up into your contact and you get the horse to transition from behind First, the horse will then either walk into the walk transition from the trot or he will jump into the canter transition from the trot or the walk and the horse will lift himself up or bring himself down and sit because you want the horse to be able to sit and they can only sit through the hock stifle action from behind if they're light in front. Otherwise, they jar and they jam. And then if you're using your reins to pull the horse up into a downward transition, What have you done to the motor? You've left it running and it's going to then keep pushing. And then you get horses pulling into the forehand in a downward transition. But if you learn to actually ask them to sit from behind and slow the back end down first, then the horse moves into that transition from behind. And again, the same going up. So when I'm getting riders to do transitions, I'm actually getting them to basically take their legs off, which really shouldn't be on anyway, but sometimes they are. And I tell them to think about the outside of their ankle, take it slightly away from the horse, which will bring the thigh on, which will slow the back end down. But then, of course, through the breath, you have to think, I want to do a downward transition, and you have to use your breath, and you have to be able to couple your body into your concertina of your um, lower core, be firm in the upper core, bring your feet under, and the horse will then slow down from behind, and it will start the transition from the back end. So transitions, again, are vital, vital importance. I had a client the other day say, oh, transitions, I hate them. (laughs) But that's only because that tells her where everything was going wrong. You know, she might have been able to keep the trot going and the canter going and the walk going, but into the transition of those things, that's where it all went pear-shaped. And so there were three or four strides where it just went messy. So thought also, and I've 
said that in the previous podcast. Thought is ever powerful and horses are very perceptive and pick up on thought very, very quickly. You, once you start to work with a horse on an energetic sense, you only have to think what it is that you want and that will change the energy within your body and it will change the energy within the horse and that includes the transition. So we don't need to get so physical. I've got a couple of clients that get so physical when they do their transitions, whether they're up or down. They're earning first because when you get physical first, then you all of a sudden have to get really, really hard and that's not fair on the horse. So if we can make that mental decision, be calm through our body and then change our energy and our body muscle structure through the physicality, the horse picks up on it a lot quicker, it's a lot smoother. And the horse does these transitions like, wow, he's just moved into it and they're still moving forward from behind. The horse must always be ridden back to front, not front to back. I hear this coming through, you know, about riding the horse back to front. It's just obviously so important. And now you talked about the transitions and we talked about them between the paces, so I presume that's within the pace. What about halt and rein back? Is there any changes there when we go into that halt rein back? Probably give me a bit more information, you know, just making sure it's correct or if there's anything different there. Absolutely. And what you just said about transitions within the gate, I call them gears within the gate. And they are so vital because once you get your basic walk, trot and canter, you should be able to have a trot that is more forward or a trot that is more collected. And so transitions within the gate are just as important as the transition from one gate to another. Now, halts and reinbacks in themselves, halts, a lot of the time people just collapse and they stop riding. You have to remember a halt in itself is a pause. It is like a pause in the music. It is the rhythm and tempo is still there. It is just a pause. And this is where a lot of people, you know, their horses die onto the front end because the riders do just stop riding. And yes, to get the horse to halt, we do have to stop riding, but we don't stop the energy and we have to keep that energy contained. That is what a halt is because we might go for a halt to advance movement. Um, or you might, you know, if you're into Western, you'll be doing a halt into a, like a sliding stop and a run back. Um, so we ha- it is a continuation of energy. It, I mean, it is a pause in energy. And so the energy has to be sustained to be able to move forward. So a rain back, when your horse halts with energy and lightness, the rain back will be successful. But a horse that halts front to back, not the rain back, going to drag they're going to get stuck. They're going to be braced through their thoracic sling. They're not going to be able to sit on their hindquarters and they will not be able to go back. A rain back helps to improve forward transition. And a rain back, if it's ridden correctly, is a two beat. It is the same as trot. So rain backs are two beats. Now, to be able to get a horse to rain back, first of all, you need to be able to feel where the, the steps are, feel where the feet are. Feel which diagonal is loaded. Now, not everyone can feel in their feet and in their hands, but if you can't, use equal and even pressure in the rain back within the feet and the lower leg and the hand, will then offer diagonal pressure. Whatever leg is left in front is the rein or the leg that you touch to get the back of that diagonal step. So, for example, if we run back and then we use equal and even on pressure, and the horse backs off the left front and the right hind, 
you'll be left with the right front and the left hind. So you need to be able to touch the right rein and be ready with your right leg to bring right front and left hind. And then the second that horse takes that leg, moves the weight and takes the leg off, is the second that you start with the left rein. And then you touch with the right rein. But all of this is a closing of the rein. Pulling back on the rein and soaring on the horse's mouth only creates bracing in the horse's back. And to be able to get a horse to do this bridleless, this can be transferred to seat bone. And this is how you see people who ride bridleless and ride horses at liberty, they can get the horse to rein back through engagement of the seat and understanding which seat bone to be able to touch and leg to be able to get that diagonal pair to come back. Now, I suppose we want engagement. You know, we want the correct engagement. So how does this all fall into place to get the correct engagement? Tell us a bit more, you know, and as I said, I ask you these things and you go into the depth that we need as riders, as instructors or coaches to just keep going, getting out of the horse's way and making sure then that the horse is um, in a happier place. So tell us, just to finish off, if we talk a bit about engagement and then we'll... um, you know, we have a chat about how people can contact you. Okay, so with everything that we've spoken about, we're hoping now that we're starting to get some correct engagement and we're actually getting the horse to sit a little bit more through his hocks and stifles, being soft through his ribcage and therefore having more lift through the thoracic screen, which is bringing the shoulder up into the wither and then, of course, the neck rounding correctly in the contact. So... Correct engagement is being in the middle, understanding the effect of how we affect the horse and being in the middle of our two seat bones, our two stirrups and two reins, and encouraging that back-to-front feel through all upward and downward transitions. And once we've been able to get that in the transitions and we're getting soft and light rein backs and soft, light forward transitions out of a rein back, we've pretty much got that horse sitting. And we can then start to get more transitions within the gait and we can then start to get more collection as the horse starts to bend its joints. It is so important that a horse can bend its joints and sit into the hindquarter motion. Now, some horses are built more for this, and this is why you've got your warm bloods and your Iberian horses and you know your Baroque horses. They are more designed uphill. And so it is an easier job for them to be able to do this. However, a rider can make even an uphill horse be downhill in its uh, transition by how it's been ridden. So it is very important to understand how to get that horse. And then in saying that too, you can also have a horse that's a little bit built downhill, uh, which my previous horse was. He was 16.2 in the wither and 16.3 in the hind quarter. So he was a little downhill, but he was able to sit and he was able to hold himself within that because he was able to sit on his hind quarter and, again, be soft through the ribcage, lift the thoracic swing and come up into contact. But there again, if I had that horse now, I would probably be riding him a lot better now with what I've learned and what I understand than what I did when he was alive and when I had him. But, you know, every horse is here to teach us something. So it is really important once you understand how we affect the horses and the feel of being able to keep that horse in a regular rhythm and tempo and encouraging that horse to be more forward or more collected within that movement but maintaining the same rhythm and tempo. That's lengthening and that's collection. Um, I was asked today about what the concept is of when instructors say the horse needs to be, you know, go more forward, go more forward. And I said, 
Well, they're wanting you to get the horse more from behind, but a lot of the time they struggle to teach you how to do that from behind. And what we tend to do is we tend to run the horse under the forehand and we tend to keep that horse running. It's not actually connected at all. And this is why you'll get horse running through length and stride across the diagonal or good attempt but no length and shown. Um, it's because the horse is not engaged from the hind quarter and corners is where we'll lose it. We lose that engagement because we don't keep the horse into the outside brain. So people just need to understand the concept. It's not about running the horse out. It's not about going faster. If that horse is correctly engaged from behind, it will have more power to push. And we have to learn to ride the diagonals from behind. We have to learn to ride the rising trot from the hind end and learning that through rising trot and both diagonals, wrong diagonal and correct, makes a big difference to understanding the balance and how to keep that horse forward from behind. So correct engagement is just the absolute um, completion of everything I've spoken about today, understanding how to get that and feel that through your feet. And when you have a horse that is engaged, he just lifts up into your hands and it's you've really got the horse over the back. And you'll hear a lot of coaches say he's now over the back and they'll say nose to tail, but I like to say tail to nose. So I like to continue that back to front concept of tail to nose, not nose to tail. So, you know, you'll see pictures of it too, of um, especially your classic horses where they can really sit and they'll lift in a correct piaf and passage. You will see the actual bending of the stifle and hock joint and the horse lifting upwards in the motion. Some modern dressage horses tend to be knee lifters and leg lifters, not necessarily being able to sit on their hind quarters. Unfortunately, the, the um, dressage just sort of... We're starting to see more of leg lifters than we are hind quarter pushers. Um, but, you know, that's what happens. Things change. So <laughs> the biggest thing is that people know how to ride for that correct engagement. Yeah. I think, Sam, you know, we've we've sort of talked and everything I ask you, you can go into more depth and more depth. So, you know, I think it's more than just an interest in biomechanics. It, it's your depth of knowledge within this whole area. I'm sure that our listeners would get a lot out of it. It doesn't matter if they're a rider or an instructor or coach or just interested. You know, they might be interested in breeding horses that the information that you've given us, I think, goes across a few different areas here within the horse industry. Now, Sam, for people to contact you, what's the best way if they want to contact you to talk about something to, you know, even if they sent you a video and you could sort of talk to them about that or have lessons, organise workshops, what's the best way to contact you? Okay, I, I am on Facebook, but my mobile number is the best way. It's 0419 And I'm more than happy. I have a lot of clients who actually do private messages and they'll send me a little video clip of where they're at and I always critique them and give them some feedback and things to do and just remind them. Um, so I'm more than happy to do that as well. Um, I, I find it a really handy tool. And also, you know, if they can get one thing, and half the time people just need to hear that they're doing a good job. They just need to know that they are putting in their best for themselves and their horse, um, you know, and, and they're, they're really giving it a crack to be better horse people. And, uh, and I, you know, I really do try my hardest to... Um, give people that positive feedback as much as possible so that they realise, you know, hey, I'm on the right track. And as I've said before in all my podcasts, mistakes are fantastic. Don't be frightened to make a mistake. Just learn from it. Just allow it to make you a better rider and a better person for your horse. 
Perfect. Sam, thank you. We're certainly looking forward to coming on again. I think this information is just good. It's just really good and complementary to what everyone else, you know, I think our guests on Horse Chats, we've got such a wide variety, but people come in with their specialist areas and it's not the same thing over and over again. And certainly your interest or your depth of knowledge in biomechanics is very valuable and a very good complement to all of our other guests. So looking forward to catching up with you again, Sam. Thank you so much, Glennis, for having me as always. It's a pleasure. Okay, I'll talk to you soon then, Sam. Bye-bye. Thank you, Glennis. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.